Well, we are honored this morning to have in chapel Dr. David Strope. Pastor Strope has uh, been in gospel ministry for many, many years, for 45 years. He was involved in pastoral work. And then just uh, a little over a year ago, he began as the interim national representative for the uh, group entitled the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, which are somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,400 churches throughout the United States of America, church planting, missions, uh, many, many churches all over, particularly in the Midwest and up in the North. And so he travels quite a bit. And uh, so thankful to have him. He spoke here a year ago, and the Lord greatly used him. And we're delighted to have him back in chapel this morning. So let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Stroke. Thank you. People don't normally applaud when I come to the pulpit, so thank you for that. John chapter 12, if you will turn there with me, please. Much appreciate if you do that. The United States is the world's most wasteful country, and the runner-up isn't even close. According to a new report, the United States accounts for only about 4% of the world's population, but generates about 12% of the planet's municipal waste uh, through the world. Uh, We would call that garbage. Each American produces 1,700 pounds of waste per year. And we add up to 239 million pounds of waste annually. So I want you to think with me this morning about waste. What is the value of a life? How do we find true life? You see, the value of the human soul is indeed incredible. The souls of humanity are incredibly valuable to God. If I were to think and had a longer time, I would help you remember that God... Uh, merely by his spoken word, spoke and formed the, the, the globe, the universe, all of the galaxies, and did that also that he might have a place for his unique creation, humanity made in his image. That, that God did. And then as he sees humanity rebel, plunge all you and me into sin, uh, he has purpose to redeem humanity. And so by his sovereign choice, one by one, he has called out people to know him by grace through faith. And that's, that's all of the work of God in order to provide life for us. He sent his son to not only uh, come for us, but to be our redeemer. So I want you to think with me this morning about the value of your life. There is nothing so valuable as finding life by losing your life. So think with me this morning about wasting your life, or put another way, die to find life. There are several texts of Scripture that I want to just acquaint you with, and then we'll finally land in John chapter 12, and you'll find these as parallels to what we're uh, looking at this morning. The first you'll find here, as we walk through these texts, in Matthew 10, 39, he that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall indeed find it. And then Matthew chapter 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake uh, will find it. And then further, 
Luke chapter 17, simply the verse, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life shall preserve it. Now John chapter 12, if you have your Bible, your device, the screen, whichever you need to do to be following this morning, you'll find this text. But let me read the verses surrounding it, beginning at verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, who was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor." Some statements for you to think this morning. And of all things, I I do want you to think in chapel this morning. Is that possible for you to think? This is going to be a little bit of a challenge for you because I want to teach an idea from a metaphor in Scripture. If you love your life, you will lose it. Or put another way, if you hate life in this world, you will keep it now and for eternity. Or further, don't waste your life by loving your life. Hate it and gain eternal pleasure. You see, here is the central truth that we're looking at. Nothing is so tragic as a life wasted upon ourselves. Nothing is as valuable to God and, by the way, to me and to you as losing your life. So we understand a metaphor. Now, I don't know how many of you are English majors, so just think in your mind, what is a metaphor? And I wrote it down just to make sure that you wouldn't fail me in this definition. Here's the definition of a metaphor. A figure of speech in which a term or phrase is applied to something to which it is not literally applicable in order to suggest a resemblance, such as we would use that when we sing a hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. It's a metaphor. And here we find a metaphor. And so let's understand the idea just in four statements. The metaphor is stated. Death is required to experience life. Most assuredly, verse 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Iowa, the state of Iowa, where I live, we feed the world and we fuel the world. We're known as the land of corn and swine. We are the number one producer of eggs in the country. So we are an agricultural state. We understand what, what happens when a seed is planted in the ground Uh, There's the process of germination. The seed is inert, we might call it dead, dormant, 
and then with the absorption of water and the passage of time, with chilling and warming, with oxygenation, exposure to light, what is buried springs forth into life. And so we find in this text, Jesus begins with reference to himself. You'll find it in verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Son of Man has come to be glorified. The hour has come. Now, if I were to remind you of the context of the Gospel of John, you'll remember it's not a synaptic gospel. It begins with what? It begins with a prologue, a lengthy statement by John. And then he begins at chapter 2 with the, uh, with the uh, turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, and he begins organizing this material with seven signs, seven miracles that go all the way up to chapter 11. Chapter 12 is a change. It's a fulcrum point where in this text, Jesus says, previous to this point, he said, my hour has not come. My hour, the hour when I would offer myself at Calvary for the sins of humanity, my hour has not come. But now he says, my hour has come. My hour has come for me to be like that grain, to die and then bring forth back into life. Though cryptically, Jesus is speaking here of his own death. The hour has come that the Son of Man would be glorified. In this gospel, Jesus often spoke of his hour. Very late in his earthly ministry, likely in the very last week of his earthly ministry prior to dying at Calvary. The Son of Man would be glorified in a very unique fashion. And you'll remember, he would be glorified by being lifted up. And we would remember some of the imagery, both Old and New Testament, of one being lifted up as being cursed, to be cursed on the cross of Calvary. And yet here, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit would be glorified in that Christ would be lifted up on that cruel cross And there bear the sins of you and me. He would accept the full judgment of of God the Father that we deserve. Now, we can't pause here, but I, I would want to remind myself. What did it take to bring you and me to know God, to be forgiven, to be right with God, to be declared righteous by virtue of the work and person of Christ? It took an infinite sacrifice, which is the eternal Son of God, made fully human. We know him as the God-man, Jesus Christ, and that in those hours on the cross, being the perfect Lamb of God, he accepted all of the wrath, all of the infinite wrath due every person who has ever lived or who will ever live. And in those moments on the cross, he could cry out, it is finished. Sin is paid for. We use the term propitiation. It's the term that says God's wrath was satisfied in the death of Christ for the sins of humanity. And so the metaphor stated, death is required to experience life. My hour has come. So see a central truth. Life for sinners is gained only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The essence of the gospel is noted here. 
But you'll notice a transition in our text, because Jesus first lays the foundation, which is his death and resurrection for us, but now he applies the metaphor to anyone who will follow him. And so now the metaphor is made plain, and he will apply it to us. To love your life results in loss of life. Jesus' death, you'll understand, is unique to himself. His death, unlike any other death, results in life for multitudes. Yet here Jesus takes the truth generally and expands the principle of this truth to those who know and follow him who would experience his very best. And he wants us to understand something really, really important. Uh, I, I was somewhat humbled when Dr. Pettit in the back hall asked me how old I was. And uh, I, I'm older than he is, if you can believe it. I know I look younger, but he, he's, he's younger than I. I'm in my 69th year of life. And so let me talk to you as an, not an old man, but an older man. Some of you are really young looking. Uh, you, you are really, I, I'm just looking at the guys in the front row here. Do any of you shave yet? Don't worry, I didn't shave. I shaved on my wedding day when I was 21. I didn't need to, but I thought it was really good for me to do that. That's okay. I just want to give you some advice from the Scripture. If you keep your life for yourself, you will lose your life. To love your life results in loss of life. So... We must then understand what does it mean to love your life. That speaks of a fundamental denial of God's presence, his will, his sovereignty, of his rights in our lives by virtue both of creation and, I hope, by redemption. One writer said this, to to love your life is a brazen elevation of self to the peak of one's perception. There is an idolatrous focus on self, which is the heart of all sin. Such a person loses his life and causes his own destruction, both now on earth, but also for eternity. The words here in our text speak of our self, our life, the one who is autonomous, the one who says, it's my life, I'm going to live it like I want to live it. No one else may tell me what to do. The one who is independent, sovereign, the one who purportedly is the master of his own fate, the ultimate arbiter of values of truth. I like the word that I ran across a while ago, a a solipsist, and you can run for your dictionary for that word. It's, it's It's the person who says, I am the only knowable and existent authority, and only I can tell me what to do. I am the third of four boys, and we regularly play, played pickup baseball games, and so when you're only playing with four, uh, there's a pitcher, there's two guys in the outfield, and a batter. And so the batter calls his own balls and strikes. You would understand that, right? It's amazing that when I played with my three brothers, calling my own balls and strikes, I never struck out. Because 
I, no one would ever. I, I, I wouldn't admit to the fact that I struck, and struck out. I, I am the arbiter, supposedly, of my own life. And by the way, we live in a culture increasingly that defines morality, that defines truth by what we think and by what we desire. Now, in our text, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that if we build that orientation, essentially live the life of an atheist, that God is not and he dares not tell me what to do, if I live that way, I lose my life. I I literally gain incredible damage and destruction to my own life now, but also for eternity. There is no individual, however, in this world who can be said to be truly autonomous, independent, sovereign in wisdom, the ultimate master of the path of our life. Here is the wasted life. There is a way that seems right to you, to man, And finish the quotation from Proverbs. You remember the end of it? But the ends of it are what? The the ways of death. Now further, he indicates in our text, hate your life, keep your life. Now, this is not a contempt for oneself or a suicidal impulse, but rather is a use of hyperbole. To hate one's life is to base priorities, purposes, goals, intentions pursuit on that which is outside of ourselves. Here is to place others, another above ourselves, or in this instance, it is to make Christ the master of one's life. You are no doubt familiar with the I am statements of the Gospel of John. We're right here in the Gospel of John, and if we were to setting where we had more time, I might quiz you. What are all those I am statements? I I love the forgotten I am statement of John 13, where it says, you call me master and Lord, for so I am. And so when we think through this idea of hating our life, here the person preserves, keeps his life, and he flourishes as God intended him to live in this world, and he keeps his life both for now and for eternity. There are many, many texts of Scripture that that would help us see that. For example, John 10.10, the thief comes but to steal and to kill and destroy. And as an older man to younger people, I would say, please understand that the devil, sin, its purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I would remind myself that sin pursued always steals and kills and destroys. But Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Psalm 16:9 says, In your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Romans 14 says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but rather is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2 says, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Psalm eighteen thirty says, as for God, his way is perfect. His word is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So think with me about the metaphor applied. 
where Jesus now advances his thought. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. To serve Christ, or to use his previous phrase, to lose your life, is to follow Christ, not necessarily in one grand decision, but rather in a series of daily, momentary decisions, actions, reactions. Uh, To hate one's life is to serve Christ, to follow Christ, to displace ourself by another, by Christ. Our endless, shameless focus on our plans, our goals, our desires, our limited wisdom must be displaced by focus upon Christ, the Word of God, the will of God, as we find it in Scripture. Now, this is not mere asceticism. It's not mere denial for denial's sake. But rather, it is the embrace of the fullest, the highest, the grandest, the the most spectacular way life could ever be lived. And again, as an older person to younger people, I would want you to please understand that to know Christ, to live Christ in the fullest way that we possibly can, To wake up every morning and say, Lord, I know my tendency today will be to do my own thing. But I present my body today as a living sacrifice. I yield to you. For me today to live would be for Christ to live. And I know that in living this fashion, I will experience the very best life that could possibly ever be lived. God's will. God's plan. God's way, known, believed, and lived, is truly good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, the problem is the tempter, the deceiver. It, it, just what happened in the early Garden of Eden, when the serpent comes to Eve and says, has God really said that this is the way to experience the highest and the best way to live? He's really keeping something from you. But we must ever understand that God's will, God's plan, God's way, known, believed, and lived is truly good, acceptable, and perfect, good for us now and for eternity, bringing God glory as he intended in his creation and redemption. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me in the same path to death where life is truly found. Then look lastly at the metaphor's reward, life and honor from God. Verse 26, where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Even as Jesus' death at Calvary was the way to vindication to life in his return to the Father, so the one who hates his life, dying to self, finds life eternal. It is only by death that life comes. The Christian will experience the fullness of God's blessing only when we consciously, when we deliberately walk in the ways of God. Sin, its pursuit, our insistence on our way, what we think, determining truth by our desires, brings only temporary pleasure, but it also brings guilt. It brings the damage of sin and inevitable destruction of death, that is, independence from God, Secured in a place called hell. God's will, as I have shared, however, with you, known, believed, and lived, is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
a little pursuit if you like to do some follow-up study. Just walk through Psalm 119, which of course is the psalmist's description of the value and the infinite worth of the Word of God. And find out how many times he walks through that, speaking of the Word of God as being his joy or delight, his great pursuit. And there is one that watches from heaven, God, to see if we will lose our life, but in fact, find true life. We find it in our text. He who loves his life will lose it. Folks, if you, if you love your life, if you exalt yourself, your personal desires, your whims, your fancy, your ideas, you're, you're, the, you're, on, you're the self-determined person, you will lose your life. But if you hate your life, if you embrace Christ, if you love Him, if you say, God, you have saved me by your grace, you are the God of infinite glory and majesty, and yet somehow you have considered me in my sin. And when I was without strength in due time, you died for me as an ungodly person. You manifested your love for me in that while I was a yet yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And so now I, I gladly profess you. I gra- gladly love you. I, I will proclaim you. I will live for you. I will begin every day falling out of my bed on my knees saying, God, today my life is yours again. If you hate your life, you will keep it. And for even eternity. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. My Father has been dead for 22 years. He's, he was a faithful, believing, uh, fundamental Baptist of all things. He was a stalwart in our church he and my mom. And, and there's one thing, however, now, 22 years later, what I missed from my dad. As I grew into adulthood, served in pastoral ministry, I, I could always sense the, uh, the godly pride he had in me and the, and the pleasure that he had when he reviewed my life. And multiply that infinitely to a God in heaven who is holy and righteous and majestic. And I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. It brings to mind the, the psalmist who said, what is man that you would consider him? That you would manifest his grace to humanity. And yet when we hate our life, do, 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 you, know, do you know what God does? He looks down from heaven on the individual believer and finds great joy and delight in you because you lost your life. You hated your life for Christ and the sake of the gospel. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Father, we're thankful for the day. 
Father, in these few moments, in my meager attempts to communicate a text of Scripture, I pray in my own life that I will even yet today not love my life, but rather hate my life and embrace Christ as my Redeemer, as my Savior, as my coming King. And that for me to live, for these who know Christ today in this gathering, that for us to live would be for Christ to live. And to die, that would be gain, because then we are with you in your very presence. Father, I pray that these people will honor you by hating their life, but indeed finding life itself. Together we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.